0: Okay, here we go. Welcome to episode number thirty-three of the John Riley Project. It's Thursday. It's February seventh, twenty nineteen. There are seven shopping days left until Valentine's Day. So, uh, men, ladies, whatever gender you are, if you've got a significant other, there's still time. There's lots of time to shop. This is where I need a one of those. Um, uh, Sherry's Berries are one of those, uh, those um, podcast advertisers to be here on the John Riley Project. But hey, I hope you guys have a great week. We're in February, still the rainy season. We kind of got through some of it. I think there's more rain coming next weekend. So hang in there. Um, you know, we had a great episode a couple of days ago. I posted it online. It was an interview with Caleb Allen. And Caleb is the Westview High School varsity baseball hitting coach, has a long history here in the area in uh, coaching baseball at the youth level, the, the club level, at the high school level. Yeah, it's a great conversation uh, talking about how coaching baseball is a lot like uh, a metaphor for coaching life and you know how to be aggressive and never give in and and talking about um um, you know, the, his brushes with some of the, the guys that are now playing in the major leagues. And we learned about Caleb's recruiting story. So it was a really great interview. So I encourage you to check it out. Uh, Caleb Allen, great guy here, uh, Poway High alum. And now he's across the 15 over at Westview High School coaching their baseball team. So I'm wishing Caleb and the Westview Wolverines great success, great luck here. Uh, baseball is going to start up here in about a week and a half for high school ball. So it should be great. Um hey if you're um, just joining us here for the first time thanks for coming on coming on board if you are a longtime listener a longtime viewer thank you very much for being there we really appreciate it we're trying to grow this podcast so share the love tell your friends you know so we can kind of help build this up together it's a podcast about This local area, San Diego, North County Inland. We talk about topics in the Poway, Rancho Bernardo, Rancho Peñasquitos, Forest, Carmel Mountain Ranch. Um, We talk about some regional topics, some national topics. Today, we're going to get into... Um, the Poway Granny Flats, the housing crisis. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to, you know, touch on a few things with um, the Green New Deal that has been rolled out today by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I got some comments on that. Um, but you know, this this podcast, as I've talked about before, it's really a podcast about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that's really the framework that I, I like to to. Look through that lens, you know, when we're talking about these issues. And I talk about life. I'm talking about self ownership of life. I'm talking about living your life and flourishing in your life and making the most of your life. And we talked to a guy, you know, a couple of days ago, Caleb Allen. He's living the dream. He's a baseball guy. He's got a great coaching opportunity in front of him. And uh, you know, we like to talk to people that really are flourishing. And we've got some great interviews coming for you. Got another one next week. Pete Neal's going to join us. We're going to talk about his enthusiasm for Corvettes and um, his buying process that he went into buying a custom Corvette from Chevrolet. We're going to talk about his cross-country road trip. So living your life, man, that's what it's about. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we talk about liberty, we talk about political issues, but I, again, like to look at it through the the point of view of freedom, of liberty, of individual rights. And, and we're going to get into that as we talk about You know these local issues here in Poway, the national issues. So let's get into it. The the big topic here locally, it's generated a lot of buzz on Facebook. It's been in the, it's been um you know in the local paper. It's been on the news, um, on the television news here in San Diego, and it's all about what Mayor Steve Voss is bringing to the table here in Poway to introduce this new plan, and he calls it Homes. I think it stands for Homes on My Extra Space. So. I love, love how politicians come up with these acronyms, uh, but it's a clever one. I'll give him credit for that. And what he's trying to do is to come up with a creative, innovative way to help put a dent in the housing crisis. And you know, we talked we've talked about the housing crisis at length on a number of previous podcasts. I mean, it's a legit issue. Um, housing is limited. Housing is expensive. Um, there are people that are struggling to find affordable housing. There are people that are struggling to find housing that is affordable. You know, we talk about those two different things affordable housing, meaning housing that's subsidized by taxpayers through the government, oh, housing that is affordable, meaning just traditional housing that doesn't get those subsidies but isn't necessarily like a million dollar home, right? So, those are we're looking for homes that are more affordable. So how do we get more of that going in the economy? How do we create more roofs over people's heads? We can also, if we do this right, we can put a dent in the homelessness crisis, which is a big issue, not just in California, but in San Diego and even here in Poway. There's, There's a homeless issue that's going on that needs to be addressed. So uh, Mayor Faulkner talked a lot about the housing crisis and homelessness in his State of the City address for the City of San Diego. I thought he did a great job there. You know, he was trying to—he was talking about ending NIMBYism, uh, making it easier for uh, new construction to occur, allowing heights to go taller, so we can have more dense. Um, uh, more dense housing so we can fit more people into the same geographic footprint. He had a lot of good ideas he put forward. But essentially, what he was trying to do was to is to deregulate and to relax zoning requirements so more construction can be built. so we can have um, more supply. you know, and this goes back to econ 101, the supply and demand curve. If you've got strong demand and you've got limited supply, Prices go up. But if we can increase supply while there's high demand, then that dampens pricing. That will relax pricing. It'll either reduce the growth of housing prices, or in some cases, it may even reduce the price of housing, depending on how much inventory is created. So um, I thought Mayor Faulkner had a great plan. So now here comes Steve Voss. And, you know, Steve, he's our. He's our cowboy mayor. You like to see him out there in the cowboy hat, and he's getting much more involved in SANDAG, you know, the San Diego Association of Government. In fact, he's the new chair, or is it the president? But he's a new leader of SANDAG. And Steve is, um, you know, he's thinking outside the box, and so he came up with this plan in Poway called Homes, Homes on My Extra Space. And what this is is to embrace the granny flat um, projects. Now, what do you mean by granny flats? So these are. These are like those small homes that you sometimes will see in in someone's backyard. You know maybe it's you know like a kitchen, a dinette, and maybe a single bedroom and a bathroom. It might only be 900 square feet it's It's almost like a studio apartment or a one bedroom apartment, but it's a standalone little house that goes on a slab of concrete, and you'll see them sometimes in people's backyards. And you know, some people use them as sort of pool houses, um, but other people have them as a, like a place for grandma. That's why they're called granny flats, right? So granny has a place to live. In some cases, people have been able to build these in their backyard. So, you know, it's a it's a nice, innovative way. You know, some people have them; they just call them guest houses. You know, and 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 you know, it's just a nice, creative way to create another room, another extension of the home. In this particular case, it's it's not attached to the house. It's separate from the house. And so... You know, historically there have been a lot of regulations on granny flats. You know, where you had to get a lot of permissions and permitting, and it costs a lot of additional money, especially for all the utility hookups and the construction permitting and the construction fees and all these regulations that the government put on it. In some cases, the government just wouldn't allow them. They wouldn't allow granny flats to be put in. In some cases, so we've been seeing. You know, sort of a a deregulation of granny flats, which I think is great. I mean, I, it's not going to be a magic wand to solve the housing crisis. I mean, we've got uh, the housing crisis. They talk about San Diego County. We need thirty thousand new new housing units. You know, so granny flats alone are not going to solve the problem, but they have a, an opportunity to put a nice dent in it. So. While Kevin Faulkner in the city of San Diego is proposing just to deregulate and let the marketplace build more, Steve Voss said, "Well, Poway, you know, we we'd like to go one step further, you know, and this is part of uh, Mayor Voss's innovation. And what he wants to do is really kind of get the government jumping into bed in business with those property owners. So the proposal from Mayor Voss is to take." Um, is to actually have the city of Poway using taxpayer dollars to buy the granny flat, the the physical house. And and then that unit will be placed on someone's property in their backyard or wherever. And then that would be made available for affordable housing. So this would be for low income. These people have to be pre-qualified as low income. And then The rental income that comes from that would be split three ways. A portion of it would go to the property owner. A portion of it would go back to the city to recoup um, the the, um, investment in the house. And then a portion of it would go to a third-party property management company that would be responsible for you know taking all the applications and managing the process and deciding on who's going to move into the into the granny flat and you know handling vacancies and the things that property managers do uh, probably if there was maintenance the property manager would get involved as well so you know you look at it on the surface and for some people they might say hey granny flats terrific hey the city making it easier terrific and i looked at the proposal i said whoa wait a minute timeout so mayor voss Love the granny flat idea, but let's—you we, went one step too far. You know, we talk about Poway going one step further. Well, I, in my opinion, Mayor Voss, we've crossed the line. We've crossed the line into taxpayers essentially now subsidizing the the um, the increase in the property value of property owners. So you know, imagine if you have a house that's worth. You know, I'll just pick a number out of the air, $500,000. You put a granny flat on that property, a granny flat that produces rental income, that house is no longer worth $500,000. That house is worth $600,000, maybe $700,000. Um, so the city now is proposing to buy the granny flat and then over a period of about 10 to 12 years, the property owner then owns that house. It becomes a gift from the city and their property value now goes up. And so what we're seeing is, is that the city now will have the ability to pick and choose and begin to reward certain property owners. And in my opinion, that's... That's, that's not right. That's that's immoral. Because the city needs to treat all property owners the same. We all need to be equal under the law. And so if the city has the opportunity to choose this property owner, but not that property owner, to give them that boost in revenue, that increase in property value, um, to me, that's not right. And so The mayor wants to roll out a plan and have maybe five to 10 of these as a test just to kind of see how it goes. Um, But it still rubs me the wrong way. I think what we need to do is the government doesn't need to be doing more central planning, more manipulation, more pushing of buttons in the economy, in the housing market. What we need to do is have the government step back. Because gov- when the government gets involved, what they end up doing is distorting the, the, the economy and distorting the process. Because in this particular case, what's going to happen is that certain property owners will be rewarded at the expense of all the other property owners that pay property taxes that are going to subsidize the guy that gets the granny flat. Meanwhile, a lot of these other property owners that are paying the tax to subsidize the guy with the granny flat, they may not be approved to get a granny flat. So they end up having to be coercively manipulated to pay taxes so that some other person gets rewarded. So this is the whole notion of what government does with excessive regulations. They have the opportunity to pick winners and losers. Um, It's not right. It's not fair. And so obviously, property owners that have larger pieces of property are going to be most likely more rewarded than homeowners that have less property. Because a homeowner that has a very small backyard, while they could put a granny flat back there, it would probably take up their whole backyard. You know, where property owners that have one acre, two acres or more yeah, putting a granny flat in the back, they probably barely even notice. Um, so, the point being is that some property owners will have a distinct advantage. And, yeah, you go through life and everyone's got different advantages, right? There's some people that are rich, some people that are not, you know, and government can't, can't you know, really equalize that. Um, They can't try to tear some people down and lift some people up. Well, actually, the government does do that, and that's part of the problem. But in this particular case, the city of Poway needs to back off, not jump in. And so if the city backs off, what they can do is relax the regulations. They can allow more granny flats to be built Which is good. That creates more housing um, opportunities. We have more inventory. That puts downward pressure on pricing. That's all positive. But the city should not go one step too far and actually use taxpayer dollars to not only buy the granny flat, but to but then to gift it to the property owner after about ten to twelve years. So um, I kind of question really how serious of of a proposal this really is because. Okay, granted the the um, the pilot program might get five to ten, but when this thing really rolls out, I mean, how many are we going to be doing? You know, fifty, hundred, something like that. I mean, it's it's. I mean, sure, it's going to put a dent in it. Yeah, I get you, but that's like fifty or a hundred property owners that are getting a gift funded by all the other property owners. So, I mean, it's just it's just morally wrong uh, to do this sort of thing. So um, it, I, I think what, again, I think what we need to do is just relax the regulations. I saw an additional you know, piece. It was posted by um, uh, a person on uh, Poway South and North votes and um, or South and North Poway votes, excuse me. And there's also a new intro, uh, proposal to allow for garage conversions to happen more easily. That's another great idea. You know, loosen the regulations so you can convert part of your garage into another bedroom, um, which could be a separate rental property or not. So, I mean, heck, when I was growing up, my cousins, they lived in San Jose. They had a two car garage. They transformed that into a bedroom, and it was great. Um, that's where the teenage boys lived from um, my, my cousin's house. But I was just, um, Um, I was in uh, Albuquerque visiting my son and I stayed at an Airbnb and there uh, they had converted their garage into a studio and it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. So um, I think by creating more housing units, that's a positive thing. Now, will some of these be used for Airbnb? Yeah, sure. That might happen. But a lot of these are going to be used really for more permanent um, rentals because more permanent rentals are really more attractive to property owners because it's a more consistent revenue stream, and you don't have to constantly be bringing new people in, and you don't have to furnish it, you don't have to maintain it to the same level. So I think allowing more granny flats, garage conversions, good ideas, but we need to we need to not go one step too far and really. Have government jump into bed with these property owners. In fact, I think that's wrong. Now, um, it's just more this central planning, you know? And um, here's another interesting tangent on this. I was just reading this in the San Diego Union-Tribune, and Encinitas has a problem. Um, Encinitas enacted what they called it was Prop A a number of years ago. I think it was in 2012 that said that anytime there is a rezoning, it has to go to a city vote. And you know, like for example, if you wanted to uh, take a commercial property um, that maybe was a, a shopping mall and then convert that into housing and make it residential, that zoning re-regulation had to go to a city vote. And um, as a result, uh, it makes it all the more difficult to do rezoning. And as and and therefore makes it even more difficult to build more housing because right now there's a big push from Sacramento. I'll give credit to the Democrats in Sacramento; they want more housing. That's the right goal. The implementation we can debate upon it, but the they're coming down on the city of Encinitas to unwind that Prop A, which requires a Democratic majority to approve a zoning regulation. Um, so I think this is a problem as well because. These zoning re-regulations end up um, or restricting zoning re-regulations end up harming property rights of that property owner. Because if a property owner owns a piece of land, and let's just say it was a shopping center, and you know, it, it, for whatever reason, maybe they don't have tenants to fill it, they're having trouble making that a viable business model, if they wanted to flip that and transform it into, let's say, condos. Um, not only could they monetize that property and and generate more profit for themselves, which as a property owner, they should have that right, but doing so also helps alleviate the housing crisis that we have here. Um, so I'm interested to see what happens in Encinitas, and I'm also interested in looking at it from the perspective of Poway, because in Poway, we have Prop FF, which is very similar, where, um, again, if and this is what's happening with the Stone Ridge Country Club. In order to um, allow residential construction at Stone Ridge, which is currently zoned as open space recreational, in order to transform that zoning into residential, it has to go to a city vote. Um, So parts of Poway are restricted by Prop FF for rezoning, like Stone Ridge. Other parts of Poway, not as much, like the Poway Road specific plan. So- I'm curious to see what happens in Encinitas, and if the state is able to um, get Encinitas to change their regulatory um, decision, I'm wondering if that's gonna have now an impact on Poway, because it could, Um, I'm not sure, so I'm curious. Um, But if we really wanna solve the housing crisis in Poway, well, We need to be building not, you know, a few granny flats here and a few garage conversions there. There needs to be a significant uh, build out of new housing units. And that's what they're talking about with the Poway Road specific plan. I mean, we're talking about between one and 2000 housing units, you know, apartments and condos. When they do that, um, that's going to help because that new inventory is going to put or it's going to dampen or maybe lessen the pricing out of other rental properties. Because when these new properties are built, they're not going to be cheap. Let's, we know that. Um, because they're going to be brand new. They're going to have all the amenities. They're going to be in Poway. But you're going to find that some people that are in, let's say, next tier down rentals, a lot of them are going to move up into the better rentals which will then free up the more entry-level rental properties in Poway. And so that's the cascading effect that it has uh, by by generating more inventory. The same thing's true with Stone Ridge. I mean, they're talking about putting in, um, I think it's a little bit over 100 single family homes up there. Um, Those houses, I think Kevin McNamara was saying they were gonna sell between 900,000 and a million dollars, roughly speaking. Well, those are gonna be brand new houses. And if you live in North Poway and you have a house that you're trying to sell, that's $1.1 million, and there's a brand new one down the street for $950,000, buyers are gonna gravitate to that 950 dollars because it's brand new. And that $1.1 million property is probably gonna see downward pressure on pricing, um, which is gonna make that you know a nice estate home less expensive. And when people choose to move up into those new homes in Stone Ridge, let's say they own a house, um, I'm just gonna say an Escondido that's worth $500,000, and they wanna upgrade to a $900,000 home in, in Poway, well, then that opens up housing in Escondido. You know? and, and the same thing's true in Poway. There's gonna be people in Poway that'll move up. So again, the right answer here to resolve the housing pr- crisis is, is to relax zoning, relax, relax regulation, so more construction can occur. And when that does, that's going to open up more housing units, more roofs over people's heads, and it's going to make pricing um, either slow down the increase or it's going to decrease pricing. And that needs to be the approach. So uh, my plea to Mayor Voss, um, Love you, man, but you can't be you can't be using taxpayer dollars to subsidize uh, property owners. You can't have some property owners that are denied a granny flat to pay for other ones that get it. Um, So that's just not right. All right. Um, What else? Uh, Hey, you know we we've been growing my Facebook page. I have a Facebook page. Called the John Riley Project. I invite you to uh, to join me there. We've got almost now a hundred um, followers or likes on that page. I'm trying to build that, so you know, whenever I have new episodes, I'll post them there. I'm going to be posting more articles and and different things. So um, I encourage you to to go out to my Facebook page, John Riley Project, and like it. But I also have this other. Facebook page. It's the secret page. It's the John Riley Project Insiders Group, and in this, it's invitation only. So you either got got to get an invite, or you have to request permission. Uh, but if you uh, if you do, um, you answer a couple of questions, and I'll approve you. Come on in, and I have special bonus content. So if you like what we're doing here um, in the the fabulous John Riley Project podcast studio in my living room, um, then. You'll get additional bonus content when I'm out on the road and some of the adventures that I'm, I'm on. So I have some video out there when I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and and talking about um, some issues that were going on there. And, and I was also um, sharing my thoughts on um, sporting events, and I'm sharing my thoughts on political issues. Um, sometimes I'm out on the road talking about electric cars, and, and sometimes I'm talking about um, um, I actually in one of those episodes I talked about the Covington boys. Remember, those are the uh, the kids from Kentucky that were out on the um, the Jefferson Monument, and they had that interaction with the Native American, and that whole thing was blown up in the in the news, and the news media got it wrong. I had some comments about that event. All that's on the John Riley Project Insiders group. So. Join me on Facebook, John Riley Project. Like me there, and uh, request permission for the John Riley Project Insiders Group, and we'll continue more conversation. So, trying to build a community here, right? So, trying to have some fun and and get some interaction, and and this is where you guys can give me feedback because I'm I'm anxious for feedback. I've been kind of doing this project podcast now since September, and um, having a really fun time. This is my thirty third episode, and I want to do. Three thousand three hundred more, um, but I'm always interested in feedback—positive, negative, constructive criticism. Let me have it because I'm all ears. Okay, um, let's get into the Green New Deal. Um, our, our—we've uh, <laughs> talked about her before, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, the the new Democratic uh, Congresswoman, uh, Congressperson. From uh from is it Brooklyn or Queens? She's from New York City. And um, you know, she's she's a firebrand, and I'll give her credit. She really, she's not shy, she doesn't back down, she's aggressive, um, she believes in her cause. Um, you know, and I, I respect that. I don't agree with her, but I respect what she's doing. Um and you know, she rolled out the Green New Deal today, and she had been talking about the Green New Deal as part of her campaign. And you know really what this is is it's a it's a green energy sustainable energy movement you know to reduce greenhouse gases and climate change and that whole thing and it's also packaged with a lot of other progressive initiatives, you know um, socialized medicine, guaranteed jobs uh, and a whole list of things and we're going to go through those. so the thing that's What she did is actually, she rolled out sort of the, I I guess, the executive summary of it. And I I can't remember what they call it, but it's a, they'll be able to vote on it, but it's a non-binding proposal. But they're basically trying to get, I guess, an official vote behind this that's going to um, show the commitment of the new Congress. Now, of course, it's not going to pass. And we know that. It might pass in the House, maybe. I mean, there's there's still a lot of democrats that aren't on board but the the progressives will definitely approve it but it'll never pass the senate i mean there's no way president trump's going to sign it but you know they're going for it you know and the progressives are they're emboldened and they're feeling it and they've got a lot of support the polls are with them on a lot of these issues so you know i again i think their strategy is great um, i don't agree with their proposals but i think they're not backing down which is good but the thing that's amazing to me is that the those that oppose the Green New Deal, or those that oppose Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, they're going about it all wrong. Okay, what they're doing is they're mocking her and they're making fun of her and and they're 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 um, not realizing that she's fighting a moral cause. She's trying to save the planet. She's trying to transform the economy to help the working class. She's going for big ideas. You know, we talk about this podcast, talking about big ideas, right? She's really packaging this as sort of a moral cause. And those that are fighting back are either like in the gutter, like kicking her ankles, you know, making fun of her, um, mocking her youth, and her naivete. And that's just dumb. I mean, why are you doing that? I mean, that doesn't help your position at all. And then there's other people that are arguing it from a more pragmatic perspective, because, you know, what she says is that she wants to eliminate the need of fossil fuels. She wants to make airplanes obsolete because, you know, she's really pushing for, um, for more rail, you know, that's the progressive love affair with rail. Um, You know, she, she's saying we need to get rid of uh, nuclear energy and, you know, it's all part of this climate change, uh, you know, green uh, initiative. And, um, but people, some of the, some of the conservatives or Republicans are just saying, oh, it's not pragmatic. It's not realistic. It's going to destroy the economy. And and in some ways they're right, but you can't, if you're going to, if someone is championing a moral cause to save you know, humanity, (laughs) which is what she's trying to do, or at least that's the way she's pitching it, you've got to be able to fight on that level. You've got to be able to engage in a battle of ideas. And you have to be able to also fight it from a moral position. You've got to make a moral case on why the alternative is a better plan. And, And some of that's what I like to get into here, because in many ways, I think her plan is immoral. As moral as she thinks it is, it's it's fundamentally built on immoral policies. And we'll we'll talk about this. So well first of all, her goal, now really, the the, the way it's stated it, the goal is, you know, zero carbon emissions, fighting climate change. But that's really sort of the front of this. That's the sort of the do-gooder front of this that makes it appealing. Really behind the scenes, this is really about implementing you know, democratic socialism, progressivism. It's really a, a major, um, how should I say? So I talk about, I'm against this government central planning. It's dramatically more government central planning of the economy. Uh, that's what this is all about, but let's take a look at the zero carbon emissions piece of it. And a lot of these goals, I mean, they're good goals. Uh, I, I mean, if you look at it strictly from an environmental perspective, I agree with a lot of this. So, more energy-efficient buildings. That's a good goal. You know, you want to reduce energy. So that's, you know, making your um, conserving energy, you know, insulation, automation, LED lighting. I mean, that, those are all good things. Um, more electric vehicles, more charging stations. I talk about this. I I own an elect. Uh, well, we lease an electric car. We have one. We used to have two. Um, we have one now, and I'm about to get the second one. Um, and so... Um, You know more electric vehicles, more charging stations. Her plan wants to eliminate pollution. Another worthy goal, absolutely. And um, she wants to expand transportation. You know she has again the the love affair with her light rail, or in this case, high speed rail. Um, And she wants to make air travel obsolete. And that that was odd. (laughs) Um, Just a bit of a tangent here. Railroads are on tracks. (laughs) Okay, this sounds so fundamental, but. Since it's on a track, you can only go from here to there or any spot along that track. Um, Airplanes and cars can go anywhere. Um, And so they give people more flexibility, more freedom. Um, Can high-speed rail be helpful to to minimize car driving, to minimize air flight? Sure. But to make air flight unnecessary? I mean, come on. (laughs) We've, We've... 48 or we uh, excuse me two of our 50 states you can only access by well one of them you can only access by boat or plane you can't drive there you can't take a train there Hawaii and then really for all realistic purposes getting to Alaska that's that's a plane that's a plane flight um so it's um and I think she was a little bit over her skis there I think she was a little too full of herself when she's saying we don't need we can make air air travel unnecessary. I mean, come on. But um, the problem with her, and I, I tell you, I I think all of these green initiatives, these green goals, are all good goals. I mean, we all want to live in a clean planet. You know, climate change, I believe, is real, and the climate is changing. Now, not only does the climate change naturally. You know, we've gone through ice ages where the planet is warmed and cooled and warmed and cooled. I mean, that's proven scientifically and is man having an impact? Well, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, so, I mean, that's scientifically proven and there are, um, carbon emissions and that that has an impact. And, you know, people can debate how much impact that is. I'll leave that to scientists to figure out. I'm not a scientist, but I'm, I'll take them at their word until I hear evidence that says otherwise. Um, So these are all really worthy goals. The question is, is how do you get there? And this is where I think, this is where she goes off the rails, to use the rail analogy again. Uh, This is why I think it's immoral. Okay. This podcast is about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, And I didn't pick that just for the fun of it. That phrase comes from the preamble of our Declaration of Independence, and it says that all men are created equal, and they are granted certain inalienable rights that include the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it's the job of government to secure those rights. So what that means is, is that our right to life means that we have a right to own our own life. We have self-ownership. We can make decisions about our own life. We're not being dictated by a a king or an authoritarian. Um, We instead are empowered as individuals to run our own life. And then of course, you have to have liberty. You have to have the freedom to be able to make those choices. And ultimately you're making choices on how best live your life and how best to pursue happiness. So it's a beautiful, uh, this notion of inalienable rights is a a beautiful thing because it allows each of us to be free so that we don't have coercion from people with guns, you know, forcing us to do certain things or limiting us to live our own life the way we want to live on our own terms, as long as we're not violating the rights of other people. So I'm a huge believer in this and, and it to me, the Declaration of Independence is one of the most important groundbreaking, morally sound pieces of, um, of, of government, I don't know what's the right word, um, of, of, of government documentation, government legislation. I mean it, it's a highly moral document because it empowers you, it empowers me, it empowers your neighbor we're no longer ruled by King George in England. We now can rule ourselves. Um, So what's what's happening here is the Green New Deal is implemented in such a way that it violates those rights. And and we're going to break that down. I mean, it's going to be excessive regulations, taxation, that for us as individuals are going to limit us and, and set boundaries around us and and prevent us from living our own life the way we want on our own terms. Now, that doesn't mean we can go out and pollute and, and, and do all kinds of violations of other people's rights. I'm not suggesting that. What I am suggesting is, is that if you harm someone else, you should be held accountable for that. If you damage someone else's property, if you pollute, you should be held accountable. But should you be required to pay extraordinarily higher taxes for things you don't want? Should you be paying extraordinarily higher taxes to subsidize corporations to develop these new technologies because that's what's in this plan. It's loaded with corporate welfare. So the whole thing is built on these on enacting all this new government legislation that is going to further centrally plan, further coerce individuals, further restrict and limit freedoms and limit liberty. And the, the craziest thing about, it, if you if you read the document, you know the document that Alexander Ocasio Cortez put forward. And by the way, it's being it's being co-sponsored by a lot of other presidential candidates: Kamala Harris, Cory Booker. That, that I know at least those two have come out and endorsed it, or are, are um, co-sponsors. I don't even know how that's even possible because Ocasio Cortez is in the House and Harris and Booker are in the Senate. But at any rate, they're showing their support of it. But it's loaded with a lot of, you know, there's a lot of um, empowering of unions that's in the document. Now, I don't have a problem with unions. If people want to get together and unionize, all power to you. Um, but you know, l- a lot of the the language of unions is all kind of built into sort of the, you know, um, uh, for the people, uh, the progressive leftist sort of movement. But the, this is the, the irony here is, and I'm lifting this right from her document. She wants to give workers the ability to organize, unionize, and collectively bargain free of coercion, intimidation, and harassment. Okay, I, I agree with that. I agree that people should be able to unionize, organize and collectively bargain free of coercion, intimidation and harassment. I'm behind her. But she wants to fund all of this other stuff using coercion, intimidation, and harassment. Because she wants government to do that to all these other people, particularly rich people, particularly upper, upper middle class people. Um, she really wants to sock it to them. And, you know, we all should be equal under the law. We shouldn't be picking on one group or that group. We should be all equal under the law. We shouldn't be oppressing minorities just because they're a minority. That is—that's not right. You know, that, and that's the whole angle of this. They're going after billionaires. Now, I'm not trying to defend billionaires. I'm certainly not a billionaire—not <laughs> even close. Um, but when you can't let people get away with with violating the rights of a minority. Just because they're a minority and they're so small, they can't fight back. That's what they say. This, oh, this, this. um, You know, she was proposing a seventy percent marginal tax rate on on income above. I think it was ten million a year, or was a ten billionaire. It was some astronomical number, and then people are saying that's no big deal. It's it's like less than a hundred people would ever fall under that umbrella. You know, so it only affects like a hundred people. What do you care? I'm thinking, well, it's a minority. You want to violate the rights of a minority? That's Wrong. Haven't we learned this with the whole civil rights movement and fighting for equal rights for women and equal rights for, you know, you know, blacks and equal rights for transgenders and we can go on and on. We should all be equal under the law. And that's a good thing. But we shouldn't be now singling out certain people and saying, you pay so we can get stuff for free. I mean, that's wrong. It's morally wrong. Um, So... Um, so anyways, her plan, ultimately, and this is why I think it's immoral. It takes from some people and it gives to others. It's just like Mayor Voss's um, granny flat situation. They're taxing property owners that don't have a, a granny flat and giving that money to other property owners to get a granny flat so their property not only increases in value, but they get a revenue stream. It's wrong. It's immorally wrong. Uh, it, is, it is morally wrong to do that. Um, and that's why I think, in order to oppose the policies of Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, you have to do it from a moral position, because that's the battle she's fighting. And if you just say, "Oh, she's dumb, she's stupid, um, you know, she's young, she's naive," I mean, you're going to lose. And and that's what's happening right now. The Republicans are getting killed. Okay, all of these proposals. Um, have huge favorability. I mean, they say taxing the rich is like seventy percent in the in the polls. Yeah, everyone wants to do that. They want to tax the other guy, not me. Don't tax me. Tax him. You know. Again, uh, it's just it's not it's not um, equality under the law. It's all about what can I get at the expense of someone else, and and that's just that is immoral, in my opinion. So, um, and the other crazy part of her plan is that. She wants to provide guaranteed jobs. So anybody that wants a job can get it. The government will employ you. And she wants to provide guaranteed income for everybody, including those that are unable or unwilling to work. Okay, so here we go. This is another immoral category. There are people, according to her plan, that if they don't want to work, they don't have to work. Now, on that level, I'm okay with that. If you don't want to work, don't work your life. You decide. But she wants to then reward those non-workers. Now, if you don't want to work, she wants to take money from these people and give it to the people that choose not to work. The people that want to sit on the couch and watch Ellen you know, in the afternoon or watch Wheel of Fortune or whatever it is that they watch during the day, she wants to be able to give them money so they can sit on a couch while other people are working, that are laboring, that are putting their money at risk, that are putting their time in, and then the money is taken from them and given to people that are unwilling to work, just wrong. Um, you know, we're we're told at a as a young child when we were from the ages of like one or two years old, it you know don't hit, don't hit people and don't take their stuff, um, but. Th- the whole basis of a lot of these progressive policies is all about taking people's stuff and they they think that it's for a moral cause because for them the end justifies the means. The end for them is empowering workers, is saving the planet. you know and those are all wonderful goals. I mean, I don't disagree with those goals, but if you if if you justify the means of taking from other people by force that you've crossed the line. You know, it, it, I mean, if you want to go on a religious basis, thou shalt not steal. I I hate to bring religion into this, but, but it's, it's, um, stealing is wrong. Theft is wrong. It doesn't matter if you're taking it from someone that's worth, you know, a trillion dollars or, you know, a billionaire. That doesn't matter. You just, you just can't do that. You can't take from people by force. It's just wrong. It's immoral. But that's the whole fundamental basis of her plan. Um, And the other crazy thing I was reading about it, it's loaded with all sorts of identity politics that are built in, which makes sense coming from her perspective, you know, the progressives, you know, they're talking about, you know, protecting certain people based on their race, based on their gender, you know, all these vulnerable groups and these special protections. And I'm thinking, again, aren't we all supposed to be equal under the law? Okay, so again, government should treat people Equally. You know, different people shouldn't have different rights, um, different levels of protection for different people. Um, we should all have the same protection from government, and the government should protect our individual rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But what they're doing in this case is they're violating that. Um, so uh, I will say this, and, and I think. AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I think her politics, her political strategy is great. I mean, she is not backing down. You know, it's like what uh, Caleb Allen talked about in his hitting strategy is stay aggressive. You know, don't give in. Um, And she's not only asking for something that would be modest or achievable or pragmatic. She's going all the way. And she's asking for the whole enchilada. You know, she's shooting for the stars, and if she misses, she'll still get the moon. So we all know she's not going to get the whole thing. There's just no way. Not when you've got a Republican Senate and a Republican in the White House. I mean, heck, even in Congress amongst Democrats, a lot of them are not embracing her. She was denied a spot on—it's um, it's it's an environmental committee. I can't remember the name of it, but um, Speaker Pelosi denied her a spot on that committee. You know, if, if Speaker Pelosi was a big, big backer of the Green New Deal, she would have put her on that committee, but she didn't. So there's even opposition from the Democrats. I don't think any of this is going to pass. It's not going to implement immediately. But what they're doing is, as is, is, so they call it the Overton window, right? There are things that were previously not discussed because they were so unbelievably unrealistic are now moving into the zone of realistic things to talk about. And um, and this is why I say that um, a lot of these progressive uh, politicians—they're empowered now. And um, you know, if if you're a progressive, you're probably feeling great. You probably feel strong. You probably feel that you're finally taking it to the man. And you know, hey, you're 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 doing a good you're doing a good job right now because um, there's great support in the polls for a lot of these policies. I think some of that will change when we really get the price tag on this, but um, a lot of these ideals, a lot of people support them, but there is no serious pushback at a moral level. You know, So while they're trying to save the world, while they're trying to empower the worker, no one else is trying to protect freedom, is trying to protect individual rights that are in the founding of our nation. Ah, uh, the founding values of our nation, in, um, individual rights that were, you know really first articulated by Aristotle. These things go back to the Greeks,, um, and it's about letting individuals be free. you know, and progressives still have some of this in them. I mean, you know, they believe in a woman's right to choose. They believe in um, giving people uh, the freedom to marry whom they wish. and uh, those are all good things. Well, good, I think, let me rephrase that. Those are all, um, those are all uh, positions of enhancing liberty. And I think enhancing liberty is a good thing. What you choose to do um, you know, has repercussions. Some choices are good, some are bad. But by empowering people to make choices, empowering people to have the freedom to choose, that's a great thing. Um, and then the options that they select well, we can judge those. So um, I think progressives have some of this in them, um, but I don't, they, they clearly don't have it when you get into economic issues. Um, so I think that, uh, and I'm not a Republican, um, but we need some people in the Republican Party that can go and combat this and do it from an intellectual perspective and do it from a moral position problem is, is I have no confidence in the Republicans to do this. I don't have any confidence. Well, there are some people in the Republican party I liked. I think uh, Justin Amash, who's a congressman from Michigan, I think he's great. Thomas Massey from Kentucky, another congressman, I think he's very good. Um, Rand Paul has his moments. Um, He's gone sideways since Trump was elected, Um, but he still has his moments. Um, But there, you know, People like Amash and Massey, they're they're getting some play in the media, but nowhere near the attention that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is getting. Um, which you know, again, this speaks to the media and and ratings. And some people think the media is is leftist, and that's true to a degree. There's other media that's right wing, and heck, the media went twenty four seven covering Trump during the election. Sucking the oxygen out of the room and killing the chances of anyone else. Um, but the media is heavily influencing this because whenever um, AOC, you know, utters a word, it's covered. Whenever she's tweeting anything, it's covered. So, in many ways, she is doing what President Trump did in the election cycle and what President Trump is still doing now. She's been able to, um, manipulate the media in such a way that they cover her every move. And so she is getting all of this kind of turbo powered to, uh, to, turbo powering of her message. The media is amplifying it. Um, they did it for Trump. They're doing it for her. And so, um, let's see how this all plays out. It's still really early. None of this is going to happen, um, in the short term. Um, this is going to be a battle that will be fought, but, um, there's really no serious opposition um, certainly not from a moral perspective, and, and they need it. Okay, I am just rambling. I want to get into my good, the bad, and the ugly. How am I doing on time? I am. I can't really read my clock there, but I don't. I think I'm at like fifty something minutes. So. My goodness. Okay, I'm going to blow through a few things here. The good, the bad, and the ugly. This is some good stuff. Uh, Leaving tomorrow with my wife, Kim, we're driving up to San Luis Obispo to see my daughter, Shannon, and it's the um, Cal Poly Triathlon team. They have their parents' dinner every year. Um, There's a 5K on Saturday. So we're heading up there for that event. That should be fun. Always a great chance to see my daughter and some of her friends. And you know, she's going to be finished with school here in like... You know, six weeks or so, um, and uh, and then um, she'll going be graduating in June. But she's not taking any classes in the spring quarter. So, wow! So her time there is almost done. Uh, but so we're gonna go up there um, this weekend, leaving tomorrow. Um, hey, I'm not gonna be able to go. But how about this big game? Poway at Rancho Bernardo boys basketball. This is for the Palomar League championship. That I mean, the Rancho Bernardo uh, High School gym is going to be rocking. Um, there's going to be you know the blue on one side, the green on the other. It's a very friendly rivalry, but it's a lot of fun. I've been to a lot of those games in the past. I won't be there this Friday, rooting for the Titans, of course. Um, but uh, that game's going to be a lot of fun. So looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Um, also in the good column, um, I was really happy there was a you know we talk about the housing crisis, and there are some people. You know, due to unfortunate circumstances, a lot of different reasons, some people are living out of their cars. Now, that's not an ideal situation, obviously. But I've always was disappointed that in many cases, the government made it illegal to live in your car. And you're like, wait a minute, if I wanna park my car and take a nap in the back seat and sleep there, that's that's my business. Um, And, and, you know, especially if I'm legally parked in a legal location. Uh, But in many cases, the government has made, living in your car, illegal. Well, now the city of San Diego has lifted that ban. So Mayor Faulkner, good job, Um, San Diego City Council, good job, Um, again, (laughs) living in your cars. I don't wish that on anybody, but it certainly shouldn't be illegal. Um, Because if someone is in that difficult of a spot, they should be allowed to do that. Because for them, it may be their only hope. uh, San Diego state uh, football just hired Brady Hoke. He's back. Uh, remember he uh, was a head coach for the football team left to go to Michigan. That was his dream job. Didn't work out for coach Hoke. Um, but now he's back and he's um, he's coaching. I think is it the, the offensive or the defensive line? I think it's defensive line. So welcome back to San Diego, Brady Hoke. And then Andy green of the Padres is interviewed and they were talking to him about, you know, all these proposed rule changes in baseball. And, um, One of the hot topics right now is, is the National League going to implement the designated hitter? And that's going to happen at some point. Is it going to happen for the 2019 season? Probably not. You know, they talk about all um, all these other initiatives to speed up the game, you know, pitch clocks and the like. But Green had a great idea. And he said, if we go into extra innings, and extra innings, you know, can drag for a long time. You know, he says the first three innings should be just played like normal extra innings. Um, but once you get beyond the 12th inning, it should be a home run derby, you know, kind of like soccer has a shootout hockey has a shootout. So ba- baseball could have a home run derby at the end of 12 innings. And I thought that was an awesome idea. Now, um, Andy Green is looking at it from a manager's perspective because he wants to preserve his bullpen arms. Cause obviously if a game goes 18 innings, the bullpen's going to be worn out and the next day. They're going to be struggling to find pitchers. I mean, they're at risk of injuring pitchers, too. So he's trying to protect his guys. But, um, you know, there, there are other issues. They've talked about the international tiebreaker that they do in softball. In the extra innings, they'll just put a runner at second base to start the inning. You know, that's an interesting one. I know they've been experimenting with that in the minor leagues in baseball, but I thought the home run derby after 12 innings is an awesome idea because then you can end it in a bang and and it'd be a lot of fun and it'd be in a literally an explosive ending to a game. So um, I hope that gets a little more play. Um, good, the bad and the ugly. Okay. We're in the bad column. And yes, it's kind of sad. Um, Frank Robinson just passed away today. Uh, Frank, a, a hall of fame baseball player. Um, the first guy to win the, the most valuable player award in both the national and the American league. Um, when he, he retired in baseball, I think in 74, I think in 75, he was a, um, maybe it was in 74, he was a player-manager hybrid, which was innovative. Um, But he was largely done with his playing career by the time I started following baseball. But then in 1981, he was made the manager of the San Francisco Giants. And I was still living in the Bay Area, my childhood team. So Frank Robinson, I kind of knew him as this sort of... um, his fatherly figure, because he was in a managerial position. But I knew he had a great playing career. There's been a lot of uh, memories of Frank Robinson that have been shared on social media. So um, very sad for his passing, but rest in peace, uh, Frank Robinson. Also in the bad column, the Aztec basketball team, the men's basketball team, the, the women had a great... They, they, they beat New Mexico. New Mexico, the number one team in the Mountain West. So the Aztec women had a great game, but the men blew a big lead. And again, remember I told you, I have mixed feelings on this. My son goes to the University of New Mexico, but I've been a a, a longtime Aztec men's basketball fan since Steve Fisher was hired in 1999. So I'm trying to emotionally disconnect from the Aztecs because they were my um, adopted Division I team here in San Diego. And I'm trying to shift my allegiances now to New Mexico. So I was in this game watching and I had all these mixed feelings Um, and, uh, anyways, the Aztecs had like a 10 point lead in the first half and they ended up getting blown out in the second half. So that was a, that was a rough game to watch. Um, but you know, I need to, I need to start disconnecting myself from the Aztecs anyways, because my own alma mater, UCSD is going D1 in 2020. So all my allegiances will shift to, to the Tritons. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, also in the bag column, you know Padre's Twitter I don't know if you follow um, on Twitter there's a lot of Padre fans and everyone just going crazy about Bryce Harper about Manny Machado what's gonna happen is it gonna happen and people are already setting themselves up for disappointment you know JT Realmuto was just uh, traded to the Phillies he was in play with the Padres but a lot of guys are just sinking there's no way they're gonna sign Harper or Machado you got our hopes up and you're gonna crush us like you always do so there's just so much anxiety and it and I, I'm just looking forward to Harper um, or Machado signing, and we could just kind of move on or move on to a plan B. And I think everyone assumes plan B is going to happen. There, there were rumors that Harper might sign with the Giants, and everyone's like, oh, my God, not in our division. So this is the San Diego sports curse is still heavy. Um, in the ugly column, Brian Mainshine. He's my assembly person here in uh, Poway. And he just flip-flopped. He went from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. Now, it doesn't matter what party you flip-flop to or from, that's always ugly. Uh, that, that always creates a lot of problems. And he's already feeling the pain. The Republicans, you know, just helped him get elected in November of 2018, just like a few months ago. And now suddenly he's, you know, he's Benedict Arnold and flipped to the enemy. Uh, so the Republicans are just really upset. And I just saw another editorial written by um, uh, Mary Baker. She's an active active Republican here in Poway. And then another um, uh, lady that joined her. Um, They're from the uh, Republican women's group. They were uh, coming after uh, Mainshine. Of course, Tony Kravarik, the GOP chairman in San Diego is coming after Mainshine. There's a lot of people that are upset. There's a lot of people standing by Mainshine that know him as a man of character. Um, and don't believe he's doing this for, you know, political reasons. Who knows? But flipping parties is, is never good. I mean, even we've even talked about uh, William Weld. Remember the former mayor or former governor of Ma- uh, Massachusetts? He was a Republican. He flipped to the Libertarian Party. And the minute he did that, a lot of the Libertarians didn't trust him. Now, William Weld is likely to, well, he's already re-registered as a Republican. He's likely to run for president as a Republican. And the Republicans now are shunning him and saying he doesn't belong. So it's always ugly when, you, when you're when you a politician and you switch parties, especially if you just got elected from one of those parties. So Brian Mainshine, um, you'll be embraced by the Democrats. Let's see how you do in 2020. Um We'll see. Okay, and also in the ugly column, the Super Bowl. Man, that was a really bad game. <laughs> it was just really boring. Um, I will say this. Um, you know, you do the, you ever do the square game, you know, the 10 squares by 10 squares and the random numbers? Uh, my wife and I, we, had, we picked 10 squares and we got the 3-3 square. And so we hit the jackpot. We won the third quarter and we won the final score of the game. So we lucked out. Um, But the game itself was a dud. I know there's been a lot of people slamming Adam Levine and Maroon 5. Um, I didn't really get to hear the whole halftime show because, you know, it was kind of noisy where we were. I need to go back and watch it. But, um, you know, people are coming down on him. But it's just a lot of ugliness from the Super Bowl. And then I guess the last thing to talk about, this could fit in the good, it could fit in the bad, and it could fit in the ugly. And that's the State of the Union address from President Trump. I really need to do a separate podcast on that because there are things that he said that I loved, but I have absolutely no faith at all that he will actually do it. Uh, there were other things that he said that were bad and there were other things that were positively ugly that he talked about in the, in the State of the Union address. It, it might be fun to break that down and kind of go through some of those issues. That, I'll save that for another podcast. Um, all right. So I've been going long enough. Um if you've gotten this far, okay, we're, how far into this are we? We've got to be right around an hour. So if you've gotten this far in the podcast, thank you. Thanks for sticking with me and listening and putting up with me um, and some of my thoughts. I appreciate it. If you want to help, there's a lot of things you can do. Uh, the The easiest thing in the world you can do is just listen or watch to every one of these episodes. If you're on YouTube, subscribe. If you are on um, watching on i or listening on iTunes, go do a rating and and you can give me a five star and and leave a little uh, review. That's helpful. That helps build the audience. Um, those are things that you can do. Listen or watch, go and review, subscribe. Follow me on social media. That's helpful. Uh, create conversation in social media. That is helpful. Um, if, you, um, if you can, share this episode with somebody. Maybe you, you listen to this and you, and you know somebody and say, oh, I know this other guy would love it. So tell them about it. Tell them, hey, there's this guy. It's called the John Riley Project. It's on YouTube. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. It's on Stitcher. Recommend us. Um, share it with a friend. Um, If you see a social media post, share it or forward it to somebody. That could be really helpful. That's a great way you can support. Um, You can get on our website and sign up for our email list or... If you want to financially back what we're doing, you can go on my website, johnreillyproject.com. You can make a donation. If you're a business, you want to be a sponsor, you can do that too. So lots of ways you can get involved, lots of ways you can help. Um, What I'm trying to do is to build the podcast so I can create more content. Um, I want to do more man on the street stuff. I want to go out. um, But in order to do that, I need to have resources to make that happen. And I'm happily funding this myself, but... You know, I can only go so far on my own. Uh, so any help you can provide would be great. And, and, and all, the easiest thing to do is listen, subscribe, do a review, do a rating, and share the love. Share this podcast with others. So I'll be back again. Um, when I'm out in the road up and slow, I might do another um, remote broadcast that I will post in the John Riley Project Insiders Group on Facebook, hoping to do one of those over the weekend, And um, I'll leave you with this closing quote from Frank Robinson. Uh, Rest in peace, Frank, Hall of Fame baseball player, two-time MVP in both the American and National League. And this is a great quote. And it's a good one. It's a good metaphor for life. He said, pitchers did me a favor when they knocked me down. It made me more determined. I wouldn't let that pitcher get me out. They say you can't hit if you're on your back, but I didn't hit on my back. I got up. Well, right on, Frank. Don't give in. Give it your all and don't back down. That's a Tom Petty song right there for you. So, hey, it's, um, it's getting late and um, I got to get up early in the morning. I have a presentation for work. So um, have a wonderful day. Seven shopping days left till Valentine's Day. Plenty of time to get something for your loved one. Don't miss out and have a great one. Signing off, John Riley Project, episode number 33. It's in the can. See you later. Bye-bye.